Thank you for Treason by Godfrey Trees, read by Amy Zuck on Anchor from Grandma's Bookshelf. Chapter 15. The Lonely Tower. This'll suit us down to the ground, said Tom cheerfully. Comfortable, goodness, man, when you've slept in stuffy cupboards and hidden up to your neck in a river and stowed away for hundreds of miles in a boat full of rotten fish. Then you know the meaning of luxury. Well, said Dodd doubtfully, if there's anything you find you want, just send down to the farm after dark. Well, none of us come near, unless you send for word for us. I'll be safer that way, Mr. Brownrigg. Good night, Dad, I said. Oh, good night, Peter. Good night, lass. Night, Mr. Boyd. My father picked up his stick and stepped away, a shadow on the moonlit mountainside. The stronghold made for a splendid hiding place. The overhanging boulder offered ample shelter. When it was light, we would gather bracken and make comfortable beds with the blankets we had brought. There was good drink and water within a stone's throw. And as I told you, Sir Philip's Peel Tower was only a little way down the valley. By walking half a mile, we could reach a spot from which we could look right down on it. We could get all the food we wanted by sending someone after dock to my mother. Our horses were stabled at Bell's farm, ready for us if we needed them in a hurry. It was safer than keeping them at ours. Mr. Bell owned more horses, anyhow, and he had a story ready to account for these if necessary. Everything had been done very carefully. It had been a lot of trouble. But it hadn't been worth taking risks. First, we had ridden out of Londonsdale, in full view of everyone, as if leaving the district. Then Mr. Bell had met us in the dusk on the main road, taken over our horses, and finally my father had joined us and helped us carry our gear up the mountain before the moon rose. We snatched some sleep, in spite of our excitement and the hardness of the ground. Then, when the sun got up, I led the way cautiously along the mountainside. There stood the old tower, black and lonely against the morning. Not a wisp of smoke curled from the roof. A very nice place for little dirty work, said Tom, slowly as he looked down on it. He took something from his doublet, a kind of metal tube with glass in it, and put it to his eye. Then he handed it to me. I looked through and gasped softly. It was like magic. The tower seemed much nearer. I could see the front door quite plainly, at the head of the stone stairs. What on earth? I began. "'It's called a perspective glass. "'I don't suppose you've ever seen one before. "'Very useful on work like this. I, "'It would have been, no doubt, if there had been anything to see, "'but the peel stood there empty and forlorn as a hollow tree. "'For the first hour, Kit and I insisted on staying there, "'though Tom urged us to go back to camp, "'where we could talk freely and move about. "'Watching's a dull job,' he warned us. "'We shall have to divide it up into shifts so many hours each. "'No sense in us all lying here the whole time.' After an hour, when the novelty had worn off and we were tired of his perspective glass, we agreed with him and went off, promising to relieve him later. We went to a place where I knew we could find plenty of bracken, and began to gather bundles for our beds. "'We shall look well,' I said gloomily, "'if my whole idea was wrong and we came up here on a wild goose chase.' <laughs> "'You're in such a dashed hurry,' Kit complained. "'Did you expect Sir Philip to come straight out the door in a mask or something?' "'That door doesn't look as if it had been open for years. "'Wait and see. If we're wrong about the peel, we can go watch Sir Philip's new house. "'We know he's up to something. "'Between us, we watched that tower till sunset, and not a soul did we see.' "'Kit began to get dispirited, too. Only Tom remained in a perfectly good humour. "'He enjoyed his lazy day,' he said, after so much travelling. 
This game is like fishing, he said. You want a good deal of patience. He filled his pipe and puffed away with great enjoyment. There's nobody there now, but that doesn't say that nobody comes. They may wait till darkness. I'll be going back in a few minutes. You won't be able to see anything, Kit objected. Anyhow, till moonrise. No, but I can hear. You two get some sleep now. He woke us at dawn. As soon as I opened my eyes, I asked if anything had happened. Not a thing, he said cheerfully. There's nobody there. What do we do now? Go down and see if there has been anyone there lately. We went down the grey mountainside in silence. It was a dank morning, with swaths of mist waist-high, and a tiny sort of rain which beaded softly on our woollen clothes. The peel loomed above us. It was queer. It had something so small and box-like when we looked down from the mountain, and now, when we were at the foot of its greasy wet steps, it soared skyward like the Tower of Babel. There wasn't a sound. Not a dog barked, not a voice. The old fortress waited for us in the dawn as if we were its first visitors for centuries. Nonetheless, something made my hand tighten round the pistol I carried in the breast of my doublet. Tom marched straight up the stairs and hammered on the door. I was taken aback by this unexpected action. I stepped in front of Kit and tried to feel ready for anything. There was no answer to the knocking. Tom tried the door, peered at the lock as though he was short-sighted, and came down the steps with a smile. "'Why did you knock?' I asked. "'Oh, just in case. "'There's one chance in a hundred that someone was there after all. "'If so, he'd have seen and heard us and wondered what we were up to. "'So I had a fine story already about being lost.' "'You look muddy pleased with yourself,' said Kit. "'I am. "'That door has been recently used.' "'I asked how he knew. "'Fresh oil on the lock, mud on the steps, "'and these steps have been scoured clean by a real driving rain. "'Horses have been here within the last day or two. "'They were tethered to that iron ring. "'See the hoof marks?' See how the ring's been rubbed off the rust? They had their nose bags there, too. There's a little corn the birds haven't found yet. I should think that these men were here the day before yesterday. And now I suppose no one will come near the place again for another month, I prophesied. Still, I was encouraged to have even this slight confirmation of my theory. We prowled round for some minutes without finding anything interesting. I wished we could get inside. The others were thinking the same. "'That door would keep out an army,' said Kit. "'If there's someone inside to shoot the bolts,' Todd, Tom corrected her. "'If the place is empty, it's only the lock. "'I might be able to pick that. "'Let's have a look.' "'We all went up the steps and stood round the big lock. "'Tom began to tinker with it, singing low under his breath. "'It was wonderful the number of odd tools he carried about him. "'He used to call them, jokingly, his portable torture chamber. "'I think I can manage this,' he murmured cheerfully. It was just then that I heard the dull echo of horses' hooves thrown back by the abrupt wall of the mountain. "'Someone's coming!' I hissed. We dropped over the sides of the steps without waiting to go down properly. Luckily there was tall bracken within fifty yards. We flashed across the open ground like rabbits. Looking back, I knew we couldn't have been seen yet. The riders were still hidden in a dip. "'Keep dead still,' Tom told us. "'Heads down. I'll do all the peeping.' But from where I lay, it was perfectly easy to look through a screen of feathery bracken fronds without being seen. I could hear voices now in the jingle of harnesses. Then there rode into view first Sir Philip on his familiar grey horse, and then two other men, and finally on a glossy, beautiful chestnut, our old friend, the Yellow Gentleman. They reigned in at the foot of the stairs, and Sir Philip pointed to the tethering ring. So the other three were visiting the place for the first time. 
The previous visitors must have been other conspirators. When they had unlocked the door and gone inside, Tom wiggled close to me. "'You know the lay of the land,' he whispered. "'Need we stay here in the wet? "'Could we get away without risk? "'They might happen to look out the windows.' "'Follow me,' I grunted. "'I led them to a fine scramble, first through the dripping bracken "'and then up the deep, worn gullies "'which carried the stream from our tarn down to the Glendermaker. "'They were both quite surprised when we suddenly emerged "'beside the little lake on the very threshold of our camp.' "'Food,' said Tom bluntly, and no one challenged the proposal. "'We sat down, glad that the sun was starting to break through and dry our soaked clothes. "'Molten and Vickers,' said Tom. "'Did you know either of the others?' "'I shook my head. "'One looked familiar to me,' said Kit, after some hesitation. "'I've seen him with Sir Philip. "'I think he lives over in Borrowdale. Mm, "'But I can't remember his name.' Ah, oh, never mind, we'll find out. When we've eaten, we'll make some notes, describe the men, what they wore, and what the horses were like. Then, if need be, we'll ask around. Peter's father might know, or that Mr. Bell. Every detail helps. No one felt tired or bored now. The hunt had started. As soon as we'd eaten and made our notes, we hurried back to our vantage point, along the mountainside, and trained the perspective glass on the peel. The horses were still there, stomping and flickering, at flies, after a while, two other men appeared, one with a hawk on his fist, as if to prove a natural excuse for his rovings. They dismounted and went inside. We couldn't identify either of them, but they didn't look as though they had ridden far that morning. "'We'll track them down,' Tom muttered. Within half an hour, three more men appeared, on foot and from a different direction. They came swinging down the steep flank of the southern fell. There was one with a broad black beard, like a spade.' "'Anthony Duncan,' I said. "'He's the biggish landowner of Truckback Way, just over yonder.' I rolled over on my elbow and stared at Tom. "'What are they up to, all of them?' "'That's what we're here to find out.' There were several other arrivals then, some mounted, some on foot. The latter had probably left their horses in a convenient place a mile or two away and taken shortcuts over the rough ground. If the whole gathering had ridden up the same bridal path, it might have been noticed. The last arrival... We all three recognized with grunts of surprise. He was a well-known Cumberland nobleman. I won't mention his name, for he's been dead these many years and there's no sense in reviving the disgrace for his family. When he jingled up the steps and vanished into the doorway, Tom said between his teeth, This is getting bigger and uglier. We tried to tempt him, but he wouldn't say much. Only, if it's what I'm afraid it is, we've got, mu we've got to work quickly. More quickly than I thought. It's a matter of life or death, and not just one life, but many. What wouldn't I give to hear what they're discussing now? But there wasn't a remotest chance of repeating my tame side escapade. There was someone watching in the roof of the tower. We caught a glimpse of his plumed hat at intervals. No one could get near the place without him seeing them. It was lucky we were so high on the mountain, so that we could withdraw when we wanted to. We did so about noon. Tom said there was no sense in grilling there in the sun any longer. We learned all we could, just by watching, and our next move would be different. "'Couldn't we get inside the tower when they've gone?' I suggested. "'It's possible they keep papers hidden there.' "'That's what I'm reckoning,' he said, puffing out his tobacco. "'I want to get as many names as possible at once. "'If those fellows go away all right, I'm going into the tower to look around.' He caught our questioning glances and said, "'Yes, alone. 
Sorry to disappoint you, but this is too important to study personal feelings. I can concentrate better if I'm alone. I want to go in and out of that place without leaving a sign that I've been there. Three people trouble the risk. Besides, I want Peter to watch on the bridal path. Someone might take it into his head to come back. Can I watch with Peter? Kit asked in a small voice. I'd rather you didn't. Two don't watch better than one. Each distracts the other. You stay in camp. We didn't argue. We were under orders now. We knew much depended on the success of Tom's work, and we realized he was right. Two sentries tended to whisper together and take their eyes off the country. Alone, you'd nothing to do but think of the job. As a consolation for Kit, Tom asked her to keep watch during the afternoon while he got some sleep. I went along to revive her around five o'clock. Most of the conspirators had gone hours ago, she said, but there were still two horses tethered outside. I sent her back to the stronghold. As soon as the last man left, I would run back to Tom and tell him the coast was clear. But it was late in the evening before Sir Philip and the yellow gentleman came out, closing the door behind them. For safety's sake, I didn't stir till they had ridden well down the valley. Then I ran to the stronghold where I found them eating supper. I was just coming to relieve you, said Tom. They've gone at last. What a time they've had! I imagine they have some mighty extensive preparations to make, he muttered. He yawned and stretched himself. Have some food quickly, and we'll be getting down. Let's go now, I offered. It's almost dark as it is. No hurry. It'll be dark already inside with those little slits of windows. I'll take a stub of candle. While I ate, he outlined his plan. I was to walk well down the valley and squat beside the bridle path. At the first sign of anyone approaching, I was to give a warning signal, an owl hoot, and then clear out of the danger zone, repeating the hoot a time or two to make sure that Tom heard it. He, in turn, if he finished his work without interruption, was to whistle. This would tell me that my duty was over, and I could make my way back to camp. Kit was to stay there throughout the proceedings. "'And let's hope there's no real owl in the district,' said Tom. "'Shall I whistle instead?' "'No.' A whistle gives a show away. Only whistle when there's no one else to hear. I'll tell you what, though. If you do hear a real owl, whistle to let me know that it wasn't you. I hope that doesn't muddle you. Oh, no. Owl hoot for danger, whistle for all clear. Oh, I shan't sleep a wink, Kit complained. I shall be listening to all the strange noises in the valley. I swallowed my last mouthful. Tom tapped out his pipe and we went. We scarcely whispered as we moved down the hill. Soon we stood at the foot of the steps again, and the peel blotted out a great oblong of star-speckled sky. Tom groped for my hand, just squeezed it encouragingly, and mounted the steps. I would have given a lot to stay, but I knew my job. I turned away and tramped down the bridle path. When I had gone about half a mile, I judged it was far enough and stopped. If I signalled danger a minute or two before it reached me, Tom should have ample time to fix the door and make his escape. If I went too far down the path, the signals might not carry between us. What wind there was, I noticed, was in my face. That was good. It would help me hear anyone coming, and it would carry my signal to Tom. I settled down to listen. The Glender maker made a great to-do, boiling and bubbling over its stony bed, but I soon got used to it. The river didn't mount any more. I counted the night as silent, because my mind stopped registering a sound which so continuously and unchangingly went on. But I knew that a voice, a hoofbeat, or the jingle of a bridle, would strike my ears distinctly as a pistol shot. 
How long would Tom be? He had warned me to prepare for a lengthy vigil. He might have to search the tower from top to bottom. Certainly would, if he didn't find what he wanted more easily. The chances of the whole affair being a complete failure were, he said, at least two to one. Spies spent more of their time drawing blank, and in time I should get used to his plotting methods. I thought of many things as I sat there in the convenient flat rock. My ears were cocked for the least fresh sound. Of my comfortable bed over the mountain at Lonsdale, of our Lonsdale friends, fat Desmond and his kindly wife, just starting on another summer tour, hot-tempered Burbage and serene Shakespeare. And the new play would be in full rehearsal now. In a week, they were due to perform it to the court. That was the one thing Kit and I had regretted about leaving London on this expedition. We had wanted to act in Henry V. Then I thought of Sir Robert Cecil, waiting patiently for the report which Tom was to send him by courtier, twiddling his white quill pen as he planned and organised and dovetailed our work with that of other secret agents, and my mind wandered on to Sir Joseph Williams and how he would like to be sitting there with me for an hour, with the cold Cumberland rock striking against his baggy breeches, and the dawn waiting behind the eastern fells. What was that? A whistle? No, imagination. Funny tricks it plays after you've been alone for some time. The moon was riding high. I moved down the path a few yards to a bend, which gave me a view for a mile down the valley. Little risk of being caught napping now. I could see anyone coming as clearly as I should in the daylight. What a long time Tom was. He must have been hours. He was probably copying numbers of documents by candlelight. I knew he didn't intend to steal the originals if he could help it. He didn't want to arouse the suspicions of the plotters until Cecil was ready to pounce on the whole brood. It would soon be dawn. The wind was stronger than ever in my face. It wind up the valley and stretched the grasses taut, bending the bracken. I realized that if Tom signaled now, I should never hear him. The wind would snatch the sound from his lips and whip it away in the opposite direction. It was quite likely that this had already happened some time ago. Or it might even be that the whistle I thought I had fancied had been real after all. Tom was probably now snuggling in the stronghold, telling Kit all about it, and wondering why I was so long making my way back. I waited till the moon had paled to a mere glimmer and the dawn was on tiptoe behind the hill. Then, knowing I could still, by backward glances, keep watch on the path nearly all the way back to camp, I judged that I might fairly leave my post. Kit rose from the rocks to greet me as I neared our hiding place. She looked white and anxious. I was getting frightened, she said. I'm safe and sound, I assured her. Has Tom come back? No, I haven't seen him, have you? No. Neither of us ever saw him again. <laughs>